Hey guys, welcome back to the Phil Krause Survival Podcast. I'm actually live on Facebook on Phil Krause Survival's page. I'm live on Instagram on Phil Krause Survival's page. And I'm recording a podcast at the same time. So uh, welcome back to the Phil Krause Survival Podcast. We're actually doing a podcast and a live feed on special operations preparation, uh, but also physical fitness and nutrition. Um, this podcast, uh, there's a lot of things to talk about in this podcast, but uh, first of all, I just want to catch up on the on the uh, current events. Uh, you know, if you guys are watching the pages, we lost two guys in special operations that were Green Berets uh, in 3rd Special Forces Group, and then uh, we lost a combat controller as well. And I'm, you know, I'm tied to 3rd Group, obviously, because I come from 3rd Group, but we got some guys fighting for their lives as well, um, some guys that are injured. I just want to say... Uh, you know, thank you for your service. Thank you for your sacrifice to all the men and women who are overseas and fighting for our country. And, you know, it, it hits close to home for myself and, you know, everybody uh, that knows us as a company but also knows uh, our backgrounds because there's always some tie in there. You know, I didn't directly know the guys who were killed in combat in Afghanistan, but, um, you know, there's there's uh, friends between us and all the same, it, it doesn't matter. The sacrifice of men and women in uniform who are fighting for a country is important to highlight because we can't forget that we're a country at war. So, yeah, uh, thank you for your service and your sacrifice, and uh, uh, we'll be praying for you guys. So, you know, when um, – actually, there's a couple things that are taking place with the company. Uh, I get asked a lot about my watch. You know, I got a Phoenix 3 Garmin watch, and, you know, I'm real picky – in special operations, I'm real picky about what specific pieces of equipment I use, whether it's to hunt, to shoot, um, to just live life with, even clothing. I'm real picky because I want utility out of things. If you guys are looking for a watch, we actually carry right now the uh, Garmin 3 Phoenix in our store, which is map priced. It's just, it's the it's the pricing is what it is, um, but. They're available right now online at philcrowdsurvival.com. Also, the Phoenix 5s, if you're getting ready for Christmas, we'll have those available as well. And you know what? Uh, Cobra.pews on the Instagram side just asked, can you do a review on the watch? I will do a review. I will have the guys do a review on the Phoenix 3, and we'll also do a review on the Phoenix 5. Uh, that's something that we want to get more into. All the guys, Ted, Black Gun Co., James, Vince, uh, everybody tuning in. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here on this podcast and also live on Phil Craft Survival on Facebook talking about special operations preparation, uh, also physical fitness and nutrition. Last night on my Instagram page, I posted a, a mill on mike.a.glover, which is my private Instagram. Uh, I posted a mill that I ate last night that is, you know, is lamb. Uh, cooked and duck fat, and it is a uh, meal that is in the keto diet or the ketogenic diet that uh, uh, I'm currently uh, using right now. And I say currently using, like, you know, it's not a fad diet. I don't look at the ketogenic diet as a fad diet. I look at it as a cycling of basic, based on what I'm doing. So the first thing I want to just let you guys know is, you know, all, there's a whole bunch of information out there and a lot of it is disinformation. You have to remember, the, the fitness and nutrition market, the fitness and nutrition market are based off of unrealistic expectations. 
for example, if you go on most of the pages, uh, let's say Instagram, for example, most of the pages online uh, that are physical fitness people in the genre, most of those people, speaking for men, which, it, you know, the industry is like 90% men, they are on uh, supplemental or they're supplementing testosterone. And, and the bodies and physiques that you're looking at are synthetic uh, most of the time. And, you know, there's, there's, there ex, there's exceptions. But it, it's funny because, you know, growing up in special operations, I've seen the use of testosterone and, you know, fr- from the far left to the far right spectrum of, you know, low dosing for replacement hormone therapy or hormone replacement therapy and uh, the far right side of it, w- which is abuse. And so I want you guys to understand that, you know, a lot of the stuff that you see in these markets are meant to commercially market a product, uh, the supplements, you know, the uh, routines and workout programs outside of somebody uh, who are normal people, everyday people that are trying to look in physique like the people who are on steroids. And, you know, these people get paid to, to look a certain way. So there's a stark contrast or a stark difference between people who are on steroids, um, people who are just looking for the physique and then used or catapulted a, a product or a market uh, to the consumer versus somebody like myself or my peers in special operations where functional fitness is the key uh, to success in that in that arena, so what that's the perspective I'm talking from. I, there's people who come to me like I've actually uh, been in conversations with people, and they're like, "No, I'm not on juice. I'm not on steroids." I'm like, "Come on, bro. I I could tell you by the physique, by your vascularity, by the the way your muscle looks, whether or not. And there's rare exceptions, but whether or not you actually are supplementing some kind of growth hormone, testosterone, something like that." Um, so what I'm talking about today has nothing, has little to do with physique. You know, physique will come physique is part of it, but physique is not the ultimate objective in what I'll be talking about today. Today, I'll be talking about, uh, how your diet and your physical fitness routine affect performance in your everyday life. And also whether or not you want to be, uh, in special operations or something a little bit more advanced. So remember, like, you know, this background is, you know, my experiences, but I also am tied to a lot of people in specific industries that are performance-related uh, that deal with these kind of things. So I'm going to tell you kind of all my lessons learned, my understanding of it, and I'm, I'm not the subject matter expert in it. I just have a lot of experience in different versions of it, and I hope to teach you this to maybe advance your current situation. Because this, is, this lifestyle and this diet and this stuff that I'm talking about is just not for uh, performance athletes or career fields. This is for the everyday person. This is for the physical fitness mindset that's required of just normal everyday people who want to be better prepared. And that's, you know, that's the uh, ultimate objective. That's the mantra for today. So uh, let's start out with a couple of things that we're doing right now. Number one, we do have a special operations preparation course. The Special Operations Preparation Course is a 12-week course that focuses on, again, building your body and your mind to be optimal in, to be optimal in special operations. A lot of things that uh, 
uh, a lot of people confuse uh, the way your physical body is for selection versus anything else is you have to forget, you have to remember, sorry, you have to remember that when you go into the military, you go to basic training and then you go to advanced individual training. And, th- and there's different names and versions depending on the service. But when you go in, you are broken down to the lowest common denominator and then built up. So you might be an athlete. So people ask me like, hey, what do I need to do to get ready for basic training? Well, my answer is nothing. Because if you build any muscle, you build any strength and endurance, you're more than likely going to lose it. If you're used to eating protein right after every workout, well, you better get used to not doing that. Because when you're in basic training and AIT and ranger assessment and special operations assessment, you're not going to get a protein shake at the end of that. Now, there are versions of it where when you're building up for strength and endurance and you have to build up on your base, yeah, you want to grow your muscles, right? And so, you know, supplementation is important during the training phase. But what I recommend people understand is you're, when you go into the military, you're, you're work, they're working off the lowest common denominator. So the most unfit person broken down. And so when I went to, for example, I went to basic training when I was 17 years old and I joined the infantry. So I was with a whole bunch of grown adults that were older than me that I realized really quickly weren't in great physical condition, didn't have a lot of life experience, even the older people. And uh, there was a, a, a broad spectrum of different experiences. So the, the key is don't just focus right now on what you want to be. Because a lot of guys go, hey, I want to be in special operations. I want to be an operator. So then they follow some operator fitness program. And then they go into the military and then they go, wait a minute, we're not doing CrossFit here. We're not doing functional fitness routines. Because in the military at the basic level, you don't do those kind of things. Now, that's what to understand about the 12-week program that we're offering um, via PDF on our website. We're building up to get ready for selection and assessment. A lot of the things that build you up have to do with foot preparation, carrying a rucksack. And it, it doesn't exclusively uh, assist you at the basic levels, but it gets you prepared for the selection physique. I used to call this obstacle course, or obstacle course fitness. Because there's a f- level of fitness that includes cardiovascular fitness, but also your ability to retain your strength in order to get through an obstacle course. Well, when you go to basic training, they don't hold, you know, holistically speaking, they don't concentrate their efforts on your upper body. So you might lose upper body strength. So when you look at a program like ours, I'm not trying to build your physique. I'm, I'm trying to build your overall fitness toughen your feet and get you mentally and physically prepared to carry a rucksack over a long distance. So, you know, physical fitness has to meet the in-stater objective when you do it. So that's why I like talking about this as it relates to civilians, because, you know, as a civilian, I look at physical fitness now as a civilian. I'm a civilian. I'm, I'm not segregating the difference. I don't call myself a veteran. I'm a civilian. So as a civilian, I am not in the same shape that I was when I was in special operations because the reality is, uh, you know, I'm not in reconnaissance anymore. I'm not a sniper anymore. I don't have to carry a 120-pound ruck. When I did have to do that, I trained for that stuff. But I still want to retain what we coin or what we talk about as functional fitness. By definition, functional fitness as I see it 
is basically your overall capabilities to be functional in your current capacity. So, for example, as a civilian now, worst case scenario, I got a bug out of my vehicle, put on a rucksack or my go bag, and I have to make a long range movement. I should be able to do that because I'm not catering to the best case scenario. The best case scenario is I don't do anything. I don't physically lift or do anything. I own a company. I delegate. I get my ass in my car. I drive a distance. I get out of the car. Well, if I was training for the physical fitness that related to my actual duties and responsibilities as a civilian, I literally wouldn't have to get out of bed because there's not much I need to do. But when you focus on the worst case scenario, then you establish a base of contingency physical fitness that's there when you need it. That just prepares you for the best case scenario or the worst case scenario, um, but optimizes you in the best uh, case every single day. So I want to be prepared to get out of my van or my truck um, and put on that go bag and make that long range movement with weight over a long period of time. I want to be prepared that if something goes wrong, I could throw my family on my back and, you know, carry a casualty over a long range uh, distance and be able to save them. I want the strength and upper body to do that. So that's important to understand. You know, you have to define your physical fitness routine, not based on the best case scenario, not based on physique, on how good you look, but based on the functional fitness as it applies to your life for the worst case scenario. So uh, something else about our routine is in 12 weeks, you have a lot of time to not get injured. A lot of people go into physical fitness routines and they overdo it. They over, they over, they're over-motivated, right? They're, I want to be a Green Beret. I want to be a Navy SEAL. And they go in to do their workout program and then they get injured. They get shin splints and they, they try to grind through it and they get hurt. They, you know, they overwork a specific muscle until it pulls and tears and it sets them back. With a 12-week program, which is the minimum that I recommend for any kind of program that you're cycling through, a 12-week program, it has to be progressive. It can't just be, you know, that, that's the problem I have with CrossFit, for example. You know, you take a CrossFit routine, and you could do it at your own pace, but if you show up and you're not doing the tactic right, the technique right, you could easily get injured because it's not progressive. CrossFitters will argue with me. I, I'm actually uh, cr- very trained in CrossFit because we were doing it in special operations very early on. But uh, CrossFitters would argue with me that it is progressive because it's based off of weights. Well, when in your life uh, do, you, do you snatch and clean anything? It's rare uh, in, that, in that individual movement. Now, I don't have a problem exclusively with that movement. What I have a problem with is the fact that to be better to be better at physical fitness in um, CrossFit, you have to be more efficient. So if you look at the model for physical fitness, the point is you break your body down to build your body up. You literally break your body down physically, tearing it down to build it up. So recovery is an important aspect of that. But if I, if I told you that in CrossFit to be a competitor – you had to be more efficient in the movement, meaning you had to be able to complete the movement and do it easier. You might look at it and go, wait a minute. So now I'm just getting more efficient. Now I'm just looking to take shortcuts anywhere I can in order to be a better time standard. 
and that's the that's the problem I have. Um, and this is this is speaking from experience. I'm not I'm not you know I'm not being philosophical on you. This isn't a, a, a you know a thought. This is actually from experience. You know when I started doing a CrossFit, and then everybody was like, "Hey, Mike, you should start competing." And so I started. Okay, let's get into it. And then the coaches are looking for shortcuts. They're like, "Hey, you can get faster here." I'm like, well, "Wait a minute. Progressively, if I'm trying to get bigger, better, faster, why would I look for the shortcut? Well, you're looking for the shortcut because the time standard, right? I'm looking for the fastest time, and that's a problem to me because number one, I don't want to be so efficient." Uh, that when I'm trying to build uh, from an inefficient model, I get injured. Two, I don't want to do something that's just for competition. I'm doing it for me, for my physical fitness. So now if I'm looking for the shortcut, then through the range of motion, you're literally cutting out the portion of it that builds the most, uh, the largest foundation by breaking you down. So I- I'm not in it for, for time, most of the time. I, in fact, in special operations, we got away from CrossFit because of that. What we did is we evolved and started looking at Olympic lifts. In fact, I remember I was operating at a very high level in special operations, and I was talking to a strength and conditioning coach, and we were given uh, very strict routines. And I remember thinking after the routine going, dude, I don't feel worked out. Like, I don't feel like this has done anything for me. And the strength and conditioning coach, which is a professional coach from an athletic department, is communicating to us in special operations saying, look, that's not the point. The point is range of motion. The point is functional fitness. The point is strength. And you don't build off those things by, by making a move uh, that might, might be rigid and inefficiency that builds you up and making it more efficient. In fact, uh, our routines were really flat. They actually were really uh, boring. And I was like, dude, are, are we building anything? And, and the, the reality was in strength and conditioning and building up for like the competition, uh, we didn't do a lot of those things that I see in, for example, CrossFit. No, you know, CrossFit is good because the reality is it allows people to get off their ass. And anything that gets people off their ass is good for, for society. So I'm not against it. But uh, coming from an experience of spending 20 years in special operations and working with the U.S. government overseas in austere environments, uh, I take functional fitness very serious. And, you know, being to Jim Jones seminars, being to, you know, having buddies who are Jim Jones coaches, being to CrossFit seminars, working with strength and conditioning coaches with the NFL and the and the um, uh, major league uh, teams specifically, it's not what you think it is. A lot of the crap that you see in the media, on social media, is a marketing scheme. It is literally made uh, for you to look at somebody and go, I want to look like that. And to look like that, I have to do this. I have to eat like that. I have to take these supplements, and I have to do these routines. And it's all mis- a lot of it is misinformation or disinformation. So I don't like that. You know, when I look at physical fitness uh, evolving through my career, when I was in, you know, when I was a young infantry guy, I was like an E1, and I didn't know what physical fitness was, and not a lot of people did. 
Our answer, for example, to if you felt bad when you were working out was drink water. Like literally take a knee, drink water, it will make you feel better. Oh, you got aches? Drink water. Oh, you, you, you're uh, slow on the run? Drink more water. It, it was insanity. Until kids started dying in basic training because drill sergeants were making them chug water. And they were basically flushing all their electrolytes and, and literally dying. Uh, when I was 18 years old, I went to pre-ranger. And if anybody knows about ranger school, pre-ranger or ranger indoctrinal program is tougher than ranger school because they want to weed out the people who aren't going to make it in ranger school. So when I went to pre-ranger, you know, I was a fast rucker. I could do typically 12 miles in two hours. I could do 18 miles in three hours. And that was with a 35 to 45 pound ruck dry with my water and I can move out. I could ruck run. So when I was ruck running in pre-ranger, I was about, there's 15 of us and I was about two miles, one to two miles in front of the second place guy. And I, I ran the first three, four miles. And as I was running, I started to kind of uh, lose the outside of my vision. The outer rings of my eyes became dark and my uh, vision became narrow. And I didn't realize what was happening. In fact, I, I thought I was about to pass out and I didn't know why. So what I was doing was my glycogen levels in my liver were bonking or zonking out. We call it zonk in the military, but it's bonking uh, in athletics. But basically it means you're running out of fuel in the liver stores and blood stores of glycogen uh, that's fueling your body. So when that happens, you, you literally run out till you have nothing left, and it's hard to recover. So at about mile eight, nine, it started to hit me really hard. Well, I took, I took a, uh, a quart of water, and I chugged it. And as I took that quart of water and chugged it, it literally, because I'm like, that's the answer, right? My drill sergeant, my ranger instructor told me that's the answer. So I took a quart of water, chugged it, and it went straight went straight into my um, stomach and then came straight out of me, literally pissed, literally pissed right out of me. And so that's something that you have to understand that um, it's not water that's going to save you. In fact, your electrolytes is what's going to save you. The sugar in your system is what's going to save you. Long story short, I basically limped the last uh, couple of miles. In fact, every single person passed me, and they came back around, and all the students that were in that course came and backed me up and walked next to me for the last mile that I limped home. I basically walked one step at a time, and it was horrible. Uh, but it was a reality check for me understanding how much I didn't know about health, nutrition, and fitness, uh, fitness in particular. Um, so, yeah, you know, when we look at – physical fitness and we look at uh, endurance athletics, for example, there's a lot of misinformation out there and I don't want you guys to be uh, misinformed. So I'm going to tell you the truth as I understand it and, and as I know it. Um, moving on a little bit into the, uh, the diet. That ties into diet. What you have to understand is your system when you wake up in the morning, for example, you ever realize why you wake up and you feel like crap. You're like, oh, man, I feel groggy. Well, you feel groggy because your fuel stores, the reserve of fuel stores you have in your liver, aren't readily available because they've been depleted throughout the night. 
So, you know, how they say carb up. Well, when you're carb loading, you're getting, you're getting the uh, glycogen levels in your liver, the ready, readily accessible fuel on store. So it's the equivalent of filling the gas tank prior to uh, going on a long drive. So you're topped off. When your liver stores are out, it's like going into the reserve. And what happens after the glycogen is depleted in your system, your body's like, I need the fuel. And if there's no fuel there, you will bonk out. And you'll basically run out of the gas. And uh, you, you might see it like there's famous uh, video of it of like marathon runners crossing the finish line. And they're like, they look like the exorcist. Their bones are like brittle. Their, their bones are, or their uh, muscles are locked up. They're cramping. And it's excruciating pain to be in. Well, glycogen is very important for you as an individual uh, to be fueled, to be cognitively fueled, to make good decisions in your brain, but also to be fueled uh, inside your body. When I was in the infantry, I was, you know, E4, E5, and started growing up and became a team leader. I had been through ranger school, had been through airborne school, and I started paying attention to my squad leaders. And I had a squad leader, Staff Sergeant uh, Reed. And Staff Sergeant Reed used to eat a Snickers bar before every single APFT or Army Physical Fitness Test. And I always would say to him, man, like, God, you're crazy. Why would you eat that prior? Like, I couldn't do that. I mean, I would, I would be, I would throw up running two miles with a Snicker bar in me. And he goes, I don't know, man. It just provides me with a lot of fuel. And there wasn't really, there wasn't really uh, understanding of what we were doing in the military at that time period. This is pre uh, 9/11. This is before. This is like uh, 99, 2000. And what was happening was when he were eating that Snicker bar, all the sugar, which was like, like it was like jet fuel in your system, was on board. And then you had carbohydrates, and then you had fats, and then you had uh, all this stuff that was in your blood, readily available, and gave you gave him extra energy. And so what we were doing was we were basically intermittent fasting. If you look at the army and how it operates, when you go to bed at ten o'clock at night. And then you wake up to do PT at 6.30 in the morning. Nobody eats. Everybody does PT prior to going to chow because you'll get up at 06.30. And then at 06.30, when you start uh, your physical fitness routine, you'll have like an hour after your physical fitness routine to eat. And so what we were doing was we were intermittent fasting, right? And then we were exercising, which is intermittent fasting cardio. And then... That was keeping us real lean, and we didn't even know it. And then we were eating chow afterwards and, you know, replenishing our glycogen levels and everything else. But we were basically operating on empty fuel stores. Now, for a two-mile run, that's, that's not really uh, something that you really have to worry about. I mean, it can affect you. But when you're doing a 12-mile ruck, it matters. So I started realizing that you had to put fuel in your body immediately to access so, you know, fast forwarding to the evolution of this, if I was doing an 18-mile ruck, I could do 18 miles with 45 pounds in about three hours. That means I'm running uh, most of the way. I'm ruck running, I'm, and then I'm slowing down, and then I'm, uh, um, I'm running again. So I'm doing intervals. What I used to do is I would take a, a fuel store. I would take a gel shot. I would take you know, the Nutri-Grain bars, any kind of carbohydrate and sugar, and I would be chomping on that before they said go. 
and then every 30 minutes with periods of drinking water, I would take an, either a, uh, a gel shot, a, a gel block, some kind of carbo- carbohydrate and sugar every 30 minutes or every hour on the hour. And that would sustain my fuel for, the, for a long extended period of time. When you understand that and you start training it or integrating it into your endurance program, dude, you'll realize you can go forever. You literally can go forever on those fuel stores. So I evolved in special operations and started realizing how much fuel affected your performance. And not just physically, but mentally. So what I started doing prior to operations, like missions, you know, I have five trips to Iraq. And four of those trips were all nighttime operations. So we were we worked reverse cycle. So my body and my mind wanted to be asleep when I had to be on an op. And you know, we we did flyaways or we did driveaways where we you know we gaffed where we did a ground uh, ground assault in a vehicle or we did helicopters where we landed on the X Y or or an offset and then uh, made these long range movements. And you know, as the war evolved, oh five, oh six, oh seven, oh eight. Uh, we started doing longer offsets because the enemy was getting smarter. So we were doing, I've done offsets six to eight kilometers, miles, walking in full kit, surreptitiously. So we're, we're not walking fast, but we're walking, you know, efficiently and effectively. But guys wouldn't bring food. And they would get burned out. By the time they got to the objective, they were bonking out. Because, you know, when you're in Iraq and it's 115 degrees at night, uh, you could re- uh very easily lose your fuel stores and become quickly dehydrated. So we started carrying food with us on missions and realizing that, you know, hey, if you chomp on a little bit of chow right before you get to the uh, last covered and uh, concealed position before you hit the objective, you would be clear cognitively because all that sugar would flow. You know, it takes carbohydrates to fuel your brain. In fact, when you look at the evolution of uh, uh, Homo sapiens, when you look at the evolution of man uh, and woman, when you look at the evolution of our brains, a lot of people, uh, I don't think it's, you know, they theorize, but part of it's science and fact, that part of the reason we develop all this cognitive ability, the prefrontal cortex and the the developed brain as we know it, is because we, we discovered fire. And then with fire, we discovered cooking. And with cooking, we discovered uh, new nutrients and proteins that uh, fueled our brains and developed our brains, uh, and then we could break down sugars. You know, we could break down meal and all these different things that we didn't have the capability to do. All ma- macro molecules, as uh, Maupai's uh, uh, stating, and this developed our brains. So it's a staple of cognitive performance. You know, there's there's actually a couple companies out there. Um, you guys might know the name of them, but they're cognitive thinking supplements that I've actually used before that, that are really good because we forget that it takes fuel not only to regulate our bodies, but also regulate our brains and our brain function. I mean, you guys could feel it. You know, you wake up in the morning, you feel foggy, you feel foggy because you don't have sugar, you know, flowing through your blood, your blood sugar's low and it's your, your brain's running on empty. And, you know, people who take tests, people who perform jet fighter pilots, performance athletes who do this for a living understand this. And it's, for some reason, it's like some secret. Uh, But now, obviously, it's more uh, profound, and it's a a, a profound understanding. 
I want I want to talk about the keto diet next. Um, look, I, I'm a big fan of a few diets, and I I hate using the term diets. I think they should be lifestyles. One, the primal uh, diet. We'll call it diet because that's a common term. Primal. Uh, two, paleo, and three, keto. They're all different in their own ways. Uh, but the reason that I appreciate and know that they work is because I've, I've test-bedded them in special operations with guys where, our, you know, for a living, we were performance athletes. We had to perform every single night. And it was the same as, look, it wasn't the same as a short duration. We weren't playing a two-hour football game. We were, we were in it for entire deployments. And then coming out of it, it was part of the training cycle. But we do, you know, continuous operations for 12, 24 sometimes 36 hours. And so you had to be prepared physically and mentally all the time. So I had pretty good experiences in test beds of these deployments. I had 15 deployments between war and government contracting, all in shitholes. It's not like I was on vacation. But all little remote experiments, controlled experiments of trying different things. What I'm most impressed about, about keto is, first I want you to understand that it's not a fad diet. Keto or ketogenics, as it's known, is not a fad diet. Historically speaking, until the 1920s and 30s, we, before that, just ate food. There was no, remember, there was no Cheetos. There was no Frosted Flakes. There was no Corn Flakes. You know, there was actually food of substance. So when you look at the food that we eat now, there's actually an interesting statistic. Over 70%, over 70% of the food that's in grocery stores today is not even real food. It's processed food. 70%, over 70%. So when you think about going down the aisles of your local grocery store, realize that all that stuff is not real. It's basically composite. You know, the FDA or the World Health Organization recommends, they used to recommend lower, but their threshold for sugar is 12 teaspoons of sugar a day. The average for the American, the average for the American is 19.4 teaspoons of sugar a day. That's astronomical. That is insane. 19.4 teaspoons of sugar that we are ingesting every single day. And most people go, well, hell, that's not possible. I don't, I don't put that in me. But we don't track what we eat. Because we think, remember, remember when you were kids and you were, and you were uh, little and you're watching TV and you, know, you see a commercial and it's like Lucky Charms. And your mom's like, no, you're not eating Lucky Charms. You're not eating marshmallows. It's very unhealthy. You could eat Rice Krispies. Or you could eat uh, you know, Corn Flakes. Well, here's, here's the analogy I want you to use. I want you to take the analogy of everything that you put in your body, I want you to pretend like you put it in a blender, and then you blend it up. Let's take cornflakes. If you take cornflakes and you stick it in a blender and you blend it up, you know what you're dealing with? You're dealing with a big uh, pitcher of sugar. That's all it is. So when you grind down the meal... Uh, you know, the corn flake, and you break it down, it is literally nothing but carbohydrates, corn uh, specifically, and sugar. 
That's all it is. So another alarming statistic is that one Coca-Cola, one Coca-Cola a day will increase your chances of diabetes, onset diabetes, by 29%. Isn't it mind-blowing, you know, when you look at the industries and companies, and I'll digress for a second, the fact that Coca-Cola, one a day, and who drinks one, right? Because if you have one, you have three. Um, one Coca-Cola can increase your chance of diabetes by 29%. But we tax and we stand against cigarettes. And do we do anything for alcohol? Not really. But when we look at Coca-Cola and the food industry as a whole, we're not outraged. We're not outraged that one Coca-Cola could increase your chance by 29% and that your tax dollars are feeding into the healthcare system that's paying for all the people who are drinking those Coca-Colas. Like I drink Coca-Cola, but if I would have known, if I knew of what kind of damage it could do to you and to your body, I wouldn't be so motivated to do it. So, you know, one, I want you to understand that in the 1920s and 30s, food started becoming something else in our country. It wasn't substance because before that, uh, it was meat. And meat didn't have all these preservatives and antibiotics and all these things because, number one, it's a population issue, right? But we didn't have all these fake things that we accumulated together. Really, the food industry changed because of efficiency. You know, as capitalism uh, grew in our country and then we started booming in different industries, things had to be more efficient. But in that efficient, uh, efficiency, we compromised our, our nutrition. We compromised our intake of healthy substance. So, you know, sugar is the biggest systemic issue in our country. And it's not how you think. It's carbohydrates as a whole. I went to the grocery store yesterday and started looking at crap. And I'm like, dude, every single thing that's in here is nothing but carbohydrates and sugar. And it's all a scheme. Every single thing that you're eating is a scheme. I actually saw an ingredient. I can't even remember the bar. But I picked up the bar and it said, you know how it usually says, you know, it has this many nutrition or, you know, vitamins and minerals embedded into whatever it is. It actually said not, it said 101 uh of, of non-preservatives or, or bad preservatives aren't in this bar. So it's like using reverse psychology. It's like this reversed uh, um, uh, language to where you pick it up, you go, oh, 101. Oh, 101 preservatives aren't in this. So what, what other preservatives are in it? And just, it, it just blows my mind. In fact, everything that you see in the store that's in packaging, it's obviously meant for marketing and it's meant to influence your brain to go, oh, that's a healthy option. But you don't pick up the back and turn it around and go, wow, this is not a healthy option. So in the 20s and 30s and the 40s, and as we started booming, becoming more optimal, and got, got us to the point where we're at now, where over 70% of our food is not food, we embedded things like corn. Corn is in everything. Corn is in everything. And corn is a super fuel. You know, there's a reason why you eat what you eat and you feel great. The reason you feel great is because the amount of sugar and carbohydrates that you're putting in your body through fruit uh, uh, or corn syrup 
and um, all the artificial things that are in the carbohydrates, it's super fuel that's spiking your blood sugar through your glycemic index and is making you feel like you're okay, but you're not. You know, I talk about things on a scale, but here's a scale. The scale's doing this. It's spiking up and down, up and down because it's not sustained. And so you eat something and it spikes your blood sugar and you're like, oh, damn, that was good. I feel good. And then it crashes. So you're doing this roller coaster ride of your blood sugar being up and down, up and down, up and down. And so the way it works is if you drink this soda that has a crap ton of sugar, what happens is your receptors get burned out and it doesn't know how to regulate. I mean, it's a natural, basic, like logical thing for me, which is if you apply some common sense to it, your system is like a vehicle. If you burden your vehicle with a whole bunch of jet fuel, eventually your, your, your filter and your system isn't going to know how to regulate it because it wants to moderate and work off of basic um, systems. And so that brings me in. That's a long way of me getting into the keto diet. You know, most carbs are converted into glucose. When, when uh, some science behind it is when the carbs are eliminated from the diet, the body burns store, stored fat instead. So your body, to make up for it, um, you know, cre- increases the ketones in your bloodstream. And what it does is it provides glucose from triglycerides instead of providing it from that fuel store in your blood. So essentially what you're doing is when you're going into ketosis, you're tricking your system into burning fuel from fat instead of fuel from carbohydrates. So that's why you burn a whole bunch of your fuel. And people are like, oh, no, it's really bad for you. No, no, it's not bad for you. You know why? Because that's how your system is used to running. Some people argue and they go, they go hey, well, what you're doing is you're starving yourself. But you're not starving yourself. Because your fat intake, you know, the, the keto diet is an up uh, intake of fat because you're using fat. You're using fat, not monosaturated fat. You're using fat in order to burn fuel. And then you're using a moderate amount of protein, protein, and then you're actually fueling a little bit of net carbs. So now your body is actually burning efficiently like it should. Remember, before the, before the booming revolutions of our country and the optimization, the cursed optimization of our food stores, or of our actual food stores, uh, with 70% processed foods, we were eating whole foods. And we didn't have health epidemics. There wasn't a, you know, look, uh, nacho cheese is not a food. It's, it's preservatives compacted into this fake crap. And so when you actually revert back in ketosis, you're reverting back to the way your body used to operate, which is efficiently and effectively. You know, some of the questions I get about the keto diet are like, hey, you know, I use keto, but I, I, when I work out, um, I get burned out really fast. And that's common. It's common. The, the problem is you're not fueling your body with enough, with enough fat. What I, how I like to think about it is I like to think primal about it. I like to think, how did our ancestors, not, not as cavemen, people like to equate it like, oh, no, 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 you got to think primal, man. Well, I don't know if uh, cavemen ate peanuts or had a variety of different uh, greens to eat. You know, they, they foraged what they had, and they sourced the meat in the regions that they had, which, is, which evolved different races 
across different geographical locations. And so when you look at me, for example, an Asian, right? I'm a, I'm a Norwegian Asian, um, a Asian. So I, my body takes rice and I eat rice and it's, it's a joke. It's funny. Ha ha. I'm Asian. I like rice, but, uh, carbohydrates don't, uh, have a, I don't have a problem with, uh, uh, simple carbohydrates like rice that I eat and they break down simply through my body because it's part genetic uh, how, I, how I retain it. It's part genetic how I process it. Hell, even my gut biome is genetically different than yours. So there's not one in-all, be-all diet. But when you look at the keto diet, it takes you back to what you were, not as a caveman, but pre fake food, pre-fake food, because you were eating whole foods based on where you're at. And we didn't have a fat heart disease, you know, epidemic in our, in our country, in our nation, in our world, right? Some of, the, some of the healthiest people, longest living people on the planet don't have the introduction of fake food. You know, some people, I think I just read it on a comment that said, hey, just eat healthy. What the, what the hell does eating healthy mean? nowadays. Does that mean you go into a store and because things say they're healthy, that it's healthy? Now, I agree with a lot of people that say, hey, eat whole foods. If you eat whole foods, meaning actual foods, then uh, you'll be uh, better off uh, than not. And I absolutely agree with that. My, my objective in the keto diet um, is to source 60 to 70% of my protein intake from Farm or farm fresh or fresh farmed, um, grass fed, or wild game. I want that to be a part of my life. Let me tell you the benefits of keto. Okay, the way ketosis works is your body goes into ketosis, where it starts utilizing, um, it starts developing ketone, a production of ketone in your blood, and that takes typically. Uh, on average, 24 hours to 10 days. It's a wide spectrum, but it depends on your system. It depends on your genetics. So if you look at that, uh, for example, for me, for me, it takes me about 24 hours. If I fast for 24 to 36 hours, I immediately go into ketosis. And I know some indicators of ketosis. Some indicators for me is my breath gets really bad. It's, it's common. And you, that could be regulated, but my, my breath gets dry. My mouth gets dry because you're producing a, um, you're producing a high level. There's actually something called ketoacidosis where your body's producing this acid. And I can't remember the acid off the top of my head, um, but it builds up an acid that builds up in the blood and eliminate, it is eliminated through your urine production, but also off and gassed off in your breath. So when that takes place, uh, there's some symptoms that you could see and, or notice. That means your metabolism is shifting and changing because your body doesn't have, you're basically starving your body. And here's what I want to make clear. You're not starving your body. You're starving your body of all the crap that your body's not used to eating or de devouring. So you're starving your body of all the glycogen that's not supposed to be there. Cornflakes isn't in the natural world and that spikes your glycogen levels, that spikes your blood sugar, and that creates a world of issues when you start systemically going through that cycle, including diabetes, onset diabetes. So now in 24 hours, 
I experience that through intermittent fasting that my body starts to change. And then I'm, I'm resourcing the body fat I have for fuel. And so now it's a game of, it's a great game of now I need to put all these food stores in fat and in proteins with mild to, to no carbohydrates to replenish myself. I mean, this morning for breakfast, um, for breakfast, this morning for breakfast, I had coffee with MCT oil, which is a, a fat, and uh, grass-fed butter. And I had bacon with two poached eggs. That's a great breakfast. But you know what I didn't do? I didn't spike my glycogen levels. And you know, cognitively speaking, my brain is clearer because I don't have sugar spiking um, my blood, uh, blood sugar and changing my mood and my brain on how it thinks. I'm level-headed. You know, it, there is something called the keto flu, and it's real. A lot of people experience the keto flu, which includes drowsiness, dizziness, uh, difficulty getting to sleep, insomnia, the list goes on, because your body is transitioning, and it's not that big of a deal. You're just getting to the point in which you could basically flip the switch and regulate your system to burn fat efficiently. So a lot of people ask me about intermittent fisting, or in, it's not intermittent fisting. If Kurt was here, that would set off a five-minute conversation. Intermittent fasting. Um, oh, my God, I can't believe I said that. Intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting, not fisting, um, includes the amount you sleep. So let's say you go to bed at 8 o'clock or 8 o'clock is unrealistic, but 10 o'clock at night, and you wake up at 8 o'clock in the morning. So that's 10 hours. And then whenever you eat, let's say you eat at, let's make it easy for math. Let's say you go to bed at 10 and you wake up at 10. That's 12 hours. And let's say you eat at 12 o'clock. That's 14 hours of intermittent fasting. The great thing about fasting is if you want to reduce weight, meaning you're quickly trying to burn the fat off your body, that's a good way to do that by intermittent fasting. But you're not throwing your metabolism out of whack when you're in ketosis. You're actually regulating the consistency of your body uh, and your metabolism. Let me give an example, a primal example. Okay, a primal example would be, let's talk caveman. You just went and sourced an animal. You went out on a hunt, and you burned a lot of calories. And then you hunted an animal, and then you fed on that animal for an hour. And so you got a lot of calories, a lot of fat, and nutrition. And then you left that animal, or you had, on reserve, had some on reserve, and then you walked away. Well, let's take this same example, and let's say that you wake up now, and you don't intermittent fast, and then you start feeding, and you eat your bowl of cornflakes as a caveman. And then you have this burst of energy, and then it falls off or peters out. And then you, you're like, oh, I need more energy. So then you eat more carbohydrates or more sugar. And then it spikes you again. And then you fall off again. So what's happening is your system or your metabolism goes, wait a minute. I, I'm getting a lot of nutrition when uh, it's, it's looking at the sugar, right? For example, Diet Coke. You drink a Diet Coke, your body thinks that's sugar. So it, it, your metabolism, it changes your metabolism the same. So now you're looking at a bowl of cornflakes and your body goes, well, wait a minute. Uh, I'm getting this frequently. I need to hold on to this fat or I need to regulate my metabolism and hold on to this because it's coming periodically, but it's inconsistent because in the morning I'm getting a spike 
and then it's bottoming out, and then in the afternoon I'm getting a spike, and then it's bottoming out. And so it puts, it puts and throws. There's some science behind this. I don't know the science, so I'm trying to relatively throw it at you the way you could best understand it. It actually throws your metabolism out of whack as opposed to primal feeding where you intermittent fast, right? It's not expecting anything. And then you eat or retain this fat, and your body goes, well, hell, I don't have any carbohydrates to devour, so I'm going to start burning this fat as fuel, and then I'll start retaining the fat when I need it. But when you intermittent fast, you basically shed all the fat off your body until you have a lower um, body fat percentage, and now it's using the fuel that you store it with. You know, basically now you can eat all the fat you want to as the fuel that's stored in your, in your, in your uh, body. And you have to remember the ketones that are flowing through your blood currently uh, when you're, when you're uh, in ketosis is acting as the fuel store. And it's just, it's just a way to, it's not, look, people think of it as a way to starve yourself to, to enact this part of your system that's the starving mechanism in your body or your genetics. I think it's the complete opposite. When you, when you spike your insulin by eating shit, 70% of the stuff that's in grocery stores, then you're throwing your natural equilibrium out of whack. And that's what's effing you up. That's what's messing up your metabolism. That's why you, you can't keep weight off. So when you intermittent fast, it cleans you up and it gets you in. Number one, there's statistics out there. It's up to 30% shedding of all the carcinogens in your, in your cells are shed through intermittent fasting. Um, I think it's up to 16 hours or more. It might be 24 to 36 hours. But the way it works is, remember, when you're fasting, your system is getting a freaking break. Think about from the time that you were shitting in your, in your uh, diapers to the time now, how many times have you gotten breaks from fasting? If you haven't fasted, never. So your butthole, your colon, your, your, uh, your organs, your system has been regulating food constantly. So, hey, I just went, I just, uh, as a note, as an intermission real quick, um, the live feed off of Instagram just came off, but I'm going to put it back on, and then we're still live on Facebook, but I go back live on IG right now. Bam, 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 go live. And I'm going to plug you in in this little intermission break. Oh, God, microphone's flying everywhere. Do, 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 do. This uh, podcast is sponsored by Falcon and Truck Vault and US Night Vision and B Black Powder Red Earth. Like that commercial break? Like how I did that? All right. So um, back to the podcast. So, you know, when we're looking at uh, our system and how it's being regulated, it's not normal. It's not normally uh, regulated that way. So the, the, the system that's running efficiently through intermittent fasting is cleansing itself for the first time probably in your life for the first time in, in your life it's 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 actually getting a break and what happens literally is your organs shrink your organs literally shrink because they're not being utilized you're giving giving your system a break and then as it comes back um, think of it as a vein that's becoming more vascular or whatever your dirty minds are thinking um it's shedding all the carcinogens on all the bad crap that's in your system and so intermittent fasting has been shown to have a myriad of health benefits, which I won't get into now because that's a podcast on its own. 
And so people ask me, what do I do when I intermittent fast? So the first thing I do is one, I usually do a 24 to 36 hour intermittent fast, which means I eat no freaking food. Timmy, what's up, man? Tim Kennedy is on our, on the, uh, on our live feed right now, just saying what's up. Tim, getting props and what's up on a live podcast, on a live feed on Instagram, on a Facebook live, because that's how we roll. You don't eat and drink a lot of water and sear. That's true. Timmy's been there, been there, done that. Um, you know, and, I, and I'm, with Tim Kennedy, I'm talking about intermittent fasting. Um, but, you know, with intermittent fasting, your body's getting act- an actual break. And the great thing about intermittent fasting, it's resetting your metabolism to get you prepared for ketosis if that's the, the route that you want to go. And, and uh, unbeknownst to a lot of people, a lot of people think that when you intermittent fast or starve yourself, that it has a negative health benefit because your system thinks that it needs to hold on to all the things that uh, you're putting in your body after the fact. And that's actually false. That's not true. Your, your body doesn't start uh, altering your metabolism after a fast and start retaining everything that uh, you're, you're uh, eating afterwards. So when I intermittent fast, one, you don't eat. Uh, somebody asked me a question like, hey, when you fast, do you not eat? I'm like, yeah, that's part of fasting. You don't eat. I drink water. What I do do, do do, what I do do is I drink tea. I drink tea because it has caffeine in it, and I want natural caffeine. I actually use a, a product called Remy Tea, uh, RemyTea.com. You can pick up their tea. Um, Remy Tea, I use, uh, actually Remy Tea is coming out with a, a uh, intermittent fast by hours, 12, 24, and 36 hour fast kit. What I like to do is in the morning when I get up, I like green tea. Green tea is the highest level of caffeine uh, and tea that you put in your body. I used to think it was Earl Grey black tea. It's not. It's green tea. Unless it's infused with caffeine, green tea has the highest amount of caffeine. I usually use in the morning green tea with lavender, right, for, for the aroma and the flavor because green tea by itself is bitter. Lavender, and then I usually add something like uh, cinnamon, uh, an anti-inflammatory. That's good for your system. And I'll sip on that, and it gives me the caffeine I need to get me through uh, the day. It acts as a diuretic, which a natural diuretic is uh, 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 part of the process of developing ketones in your blood. It's actually a diuretic. Um, that's why you piss frequently when you're uh, in, in a ketosis state. And um, I do that every four, three to four hours. I drink tea. And then I do sleepy time. I do, you know, in the, in the middle of the day, I'll do black tea. In the mid-afternoon, I'll do a different type of tea, like uh, oolong tea, which is really good. And then in the evening, right before bed, I'll do a sleepy time tea. And what you're doing is you're giving your system a break, but you're maintaining healthy inputs, and you're not taking yourself out of ketosis. Here's the biggest mistake made in going into a keto diet. The, I hate calling it diet. It should be called keto natural because that's, that's the natural state of things, right? You're primal. You feed, you get the fat, you get the protein. You can't just live off the protein. You got to get the fat. So you eat the organs, but there's no sugars. There's no cornflakes hiding in, in those, uh, those hearts. No cornflakes hiding. There's no cheese whiz that you could put on your uh, wild game. So uh, when the, the, the benefits of the keto diet is that once you're in the keto state, um, you flip the switch. But the biggest mistake made is if you flip the switch back, your body is going to be irregulated. And so your body's going to go, wait a minute. Well, now we have glycogen. 
So then all the fat that you were trying to retain because you were fueling your body with all these good fats, you're eating a pound of butter in the morning for, for breakfast because that's part of it, um, you're now retaining on top of the fact that you're uh, altering your metabolism. Now, the way to get quickly back to it is, is up for debate. Um, but intermittent fasting has been proven to get you into a ketosis state faster. It's just common sense, right? If you start uh, uh, fasting, it immediately puts you in a ketosis state because you're depriving your body of glycogen. You're burning that fuel. Um, but when you get back to it, when you reverse it, it, it puts you in a bad predicament. They actually say, and you know, this is some studies that I've read. A lot of people debate. They actually say that uh, when you're doing a keto diet, it increases your overall um, cholesterol, the LDL cholesterol um, and the HDL. Uh, LDL is the bad, known as the bad cholesterol. Let me give you the example of what, what this does. Eating meat by itself and eating fat by itself inherently does not make you fatter. But if, you, if I use the analogy of now you introduce sugar and carbohydrates, now what you're doing is providing the glue that sticks and bonds that protein and that fat, that monosaturated, that saturated fat to the walls of your arteries. There's a direct correlation between LDL cholesterol, the bad cholesterol, and the amount of carbohydrates and sugars that are combined with the saturated fat that you ingest in your body. So the combination is bad. But when you eliminate glycogen from your, from your diet and you're in, you, know, you have high levels of ketones and, keto, and you're in ketosis, you're not going to have higher cholesterol. My cholesterol, I actually did a blood test the other day, and as soon as I, I just went back on a keto diet, in 60 days, I will take my blood and I will show for everybody uh, the value of going keto and how, how beneficial it is. And my overall LDL cholesterol will lower. I promise you it will lower. Now, um, performance-based. There's some people who are not very adaptive and, and, and not very good genetically. Um, they're, they're not... Uh, their systems aren't very adequate at going into a ketosis diet. And I, and I blame that on genes. We don't we evolve from different places, uh, from different regions, geographical regions over the world. So our systems have uh, evolved based on that uh, region. So what I have to say to, to, to uh, people who are in high-performing uh, jobs, your performance athlete, your, you know, you're somebody who, who does something physical for a living, you have to incorporate sometimes um, sugar. And, and the, the great benefit of being in ketosis, when you introduce sugar, it's like a super fuel. Uh, for example, when I was in, uh, doing the keto diet, or actually I was doing the paleo diet overseas, I was in a, a crap hole country uh, near Africa, and I was operating there, but I was doing a lot of PT, and I would use grapes, local grapes, which... I washed them thoroughly, and I would eat a grape. And a grape for me was like a gel shot with caffeine because my body was used to operating off of fats. So when I ingested some kind of, glyc- some kind of fructose or some kind of sugar, it was like super fuel for me. So if you're in one of those jobs, if you're, you know, if you're Tim Kennedy and you're fighting, you're training, and, and it's such a rigorous um, uh, a job, you need to introduce carbohydrates smartly. That's why it's timed. It's, your, your fuel is timed. So you're us, utilizing that fuel that's immediately stored in your liver 
as an onboard fuel store, uh, not to be stored into your body, but to be utilized through a physical activity. And uh, that could be done. What does the average diet look like for keto? Let me give an example of a keto diet. Two eggs cooked, grass-fed butter with a side of bacon, a few slices of avocado in the morning with a coffee with MCT oil and some butter. Snacks. Uh, I just had some snacks. I had cheese, uh, which is allowed. Milk is not allowed because the amount of sugar and the amount of carbs. But most cheeses, as long as it doesn't have any additional crap, is okay. Um, And then um, nuts. Most nuts are okay. Almonds, walnuts. What aren't okay is like cashews. Cashews have uh, a high amount of net carbs and a high amount of calories, right? We're kind of reducing the calories. Some people think that actually the weight loss that's produced by keto diets are the, produced because of the deficiency in calories. And that to, that's debatable because that's to each their own. Um, lunch, a large salad topped with nuts, seeds, avocado, hard-boiled egg dressed with avocado oil-based dressing. That's delicious. Dinner. Slow cooker, pulled pork, and coleslaw dressed with avocado mayonnaise. So, look, you're allowed to eat some really good damn foods. This isn't the fat boy diet, though. What you're doing now is utilizing uh, the storage of fats as your fuel store. So it's not like you're harboring this uh, to ingest it all, to sit on your fat ass and, uh, and get fatter. You're using this as your immediate fuel store. A lot of people make the mistake of being in a keto diet, and then they cheat, right? They, they have gummy bears at night. I love gummy bears, but if you have gummy bears at night, that whole problem I told you about of attaching your bad cholesterol, adhering it to the insides of your arteries, is, is exactly that. When you think you're ketos- in ketosis because you think your ketones are high, but you're not. Uh, there's several products on Amazon you could buy that regulate, or not regulate, but measure your ketone levels, Please read up on it before you get into involved in it, or just don't cheat. If you're not a cheater and you're in it to win it, get in it and then commit to it, uh, and then you'll be better off for it anyways. And then you can't cheat. Um, you start eating carbs, it's going to reverse the cycle, reduce the amount of ketones in your blood, and you're going to notice the cognitive uh, uh, things drop off, or the cognitive abilities and sharpness drop off. You will think clearer. You will think without that glycogen flowing through your body, like you had a cup of coffee uh, and a bowl of sugar. Your clarity will be better, you'll be physically performing better, and you'll feel great. You won't feel like shit. Look, many foods conventionally considered as healthy are banned on the keto diet. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that, uh, like whole grains. Dude, grain and corn are staples of the American diet. But, because it's an easy, cheap food source for the American farmer, farmer, agriculture, and end user. But it's freaking horrible for you because it's nothing but sugar. Take every single thing that's in your cupboard right now and imagine that you're putting it into a blender and grind it up. If it refines itself, right, if it refines itself into powder, that's sugar. That is literally a carbohydrate and it's sugar. Your body treats it the same way by spiking your glycogen level. You know why uh, all those preservative-based foods are the way they are? It's because they don't have fiber. Because when fiber is introduced into, into some of those uh, pr- uh, foods, it gives it a shelf life. You know how to get rid of the shelf life? Reduce the amount of fiber. 
And then when you reduce the amount of fiber, you increase the shelf life, and then you introduce the preservatives, and that saves the food over a longer period of time. But guess what you neglected? The fiber. The fiber is what keeps you uh, naturally regulated and keeps you from not spiking, spiking in a natural sense uh, your glycogen levels in your food stores. So everything that you eat, I, I encourage you to take it and pretend like you're putting it in a blender and think about what it will look like. Uh, a taco. Grind it up, put it in there. Look what it looks like. Like a pile of shit. Add some milk onto that. You want to throw some ice cream in that? Take some Rice Krispies. Blend it up. You've got a big pitcher of shit. Um, concentrate. Take, take a piece of meat. Put it in a blender. You know what it looks like? Like fibrous strands of meat and fat that your body need. If you're into athletics, if you're into physical fitness routines, you need fats. Fats are uh, a base foundation for repairing your cells, which repair your muscles and your body. Without fat, you would die. You need fat in your body. In fact, it's been proven. You can't sustain a life without fat. If you eat just protein, you won't sustain life. Eventually, your systems will start shutting down. You have to have fat, saturated, yes, saturated fat in your body in order to repair your body and to function and to live. Um, you will experience increased energy and brain power. That is, a, that is no doubt one of the benefits of uh, the keto diet. Uh, there's people who talk about their dress sizes, their pant sizes, chronic migraines, LDL, hormones, all the things that are typically associated with uh, symptoms of uh, brain, physical body, aches and pains, a lot of them are because of the shit that we put in our body. Um, you know, I just was talking about this yesterday with somebody. And I was like, how, how come doctors don't get um, any training really on nutrition? How come when you go into a doctor, you, they treat the symptom? Uh, that's on the surface, but they don't treat the, the root cause. How come no doctors go up to you and say, hey, uh, well, you're suffering from aches and pains, so tell me, what is your diet? You know why? Because when you're in an industry, a trillion-dollar industry of the medical healthcare system and pharmaceutical companies that treat symptoms and make more billions and trillions of dollars, then you don't address those kind of things. But when you're in the business of health, nutrition, of wellness, then you focus on the things that matter. And what matters is it starts with what you put in your body. And as a nation, what we put in our body uh, is destroying us. It's killing us. And it's very simple. Eat whole foods, eat healthy, and exercise. And, it, and those foundations still remain true, right? Stay away from any preservatives. Stay away from high amounts of sodium. And stay away from all this shit that's laced in corn that's multigrain, right? Because if it's multigrain, it's healthy. No, it's actually just more sugar. Um, it will balance your hormones, improve your sleep, and you'll gain sustainable energy through a period of, uh, of a, an extended period of time. And I would say forever until you start eating uh, uh, Frosted Flakes again for breakfast. Breakfast. You know, a byproduct of ketosis are eliminated through urine, and you could take home testing strips to, to, to test your state of ketosis as well. It's not, uh, it doesn't have to be administered through blood. It could actually be measured uh, in your piss, in your urine, because you excrete a lot of the acid um, that's a byproduct of uh, the, the, key, the production of ketones in your system. So 
Yes, originally, I was just told this, originally the keto diet was originally developed in the 20s by physicians who were looking at childhood epilepsy because the ketogenic diet mimics the effects of fasting has on the body. And, but fasting has been around since 500 BC to treat epilepsy. But let's use our brains here. Let's use our brains here, right? You're treating an epileptic child or person. And uh, a lot of the, if you do research, and this is just my vague understanding of, uh, of epilepsy, is ep- epilepsy is a, is a brain problem, right? It's a neurological problem. And in that neurological distortion, it's like two synapses are trying to communicate to each other. There's, there's a disruption, a glitch in the system. Well, you know what? You know how your brain functions? It is literally fueled off of sugar and carbohydrates and fat that you put into your body. So, hmm, let's just use common sense. You get rid of carbohydrates in excess. And, and, and you know, people are saying, oh, well, the keto diet was used for epilepsy, but it's not beneficial to the, our, our society. Well, maybe one of the reasons why people are having problems like diabetes and epilepsy, you know, epi- you know epilepsy can, can be genetic. It could be, it's found in children, but it could also be genetically mutated from the amount of shit that we're putting in our body. And so let me see, you have something against the ketogenic diet because you think it was only designed to help with epileptic uh, or um, uh, epilepsy and children but the benefits are it stops epilepsy, it stops seizures, and it regulates your brain and regulates your metabolism. Well, I'm looking at it uh, with a, half, uh, a glass half full, um, and I'm looking at it going, oh, maybe there's a reason why when we're not on that and we're eating our cornflakes that there's a reason why our systems are all jacked up, right? And, and you know, McLeod209 on Instagram just made a good point. Sugar intake is down, but obesity as an all-time high. Thoughts, I think it's just people aren't moving anymore. It's a sedent- You're exactly right, brother. It's a sedentary lifestyle. All this stuff ties into sedentary lifestyle. You can't do these diets uh, and, not, and sit on your ass and expect to uh, see results because uh, the reality is we're getting more sedentary uh, by the day as a society. Look at our jobs. Uh, more efficiency uh, through technology means not moving more. I always had this uh, weird theory about you know how we created aliens, you know, or how you've seen aliens, but how they're uh, 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 depicted in in uh, TV and the media. It's a big-headed person with skinny body, little fingers with these like little suction cup things on their fingers, right? It's because they used our brain and their eyes and then have their senses, but they don't use their physical body because technology has allowed them to manipulate things around them without getting off their ass. And that's part, a huge part of the problem. Look, sugar intake down, um, sugar intake is down in our country, but the sedentary lifestyle is increasing. Think about the kids that you know. How many of those kids get off their little asses and go outside and play? I mean, my dad wouldn't let me inside the house until it was dark. I had to stay outside and play. I was playing street hockey with palm tree uh, sticks. Um, you know, I was playing cowboys and Indians. I was running around playing soldier in the woods, and I was physical all the time. Now, a video game, you can't even get kids off of phones nowadays. So 
Look, uh, one of the things that's uh, cool about the keto diet is you have to you have to cook. It requires a lot of preparation, and it and it's a social thing. Look, if you're if you're not into the keto diet, get your girlfriend, your husband, your wife, your family, your coworkers. I'm making George. George is 200. I'm 235 pounds right now, which is awesome because I know that's you know my base is around 225. So I'm overweight right now because of my lifestyle. But I'm on the keto diet. I'll lose probably about 15, 20 pounds in about a month. Um, George is 265. I'm going to put him on the diet, and he's motivated because I'll hold him accountable. But we could do things like food prep together, get all the stuff together, talk about the way we feel, make it a family event. I mean, yeah, keto diet, the keto diet's hard because it's hard to find a lot of the stuff that's in the ketogenic diet. But once you find the rhythm of things and, and you start realizing how you feel, I promise you, I promise you, this is not a gimmick. I'm not selling a ketogenic diet. On my personal account at mike.a.glover, I will post up everything that's related to my ketogenic diet and my experiences to educate you more. But just try it. Please try it. I'll give you the links for Remy T, RemyT.com. Um, I've talked to them and convinced them to basically stand up the intermittent fasting systems for, to make it easy, easy for you to intermittent fast. And I want you guys to try it. Dude, this is the natural order of things. I don't make any money off of this. You know, le- the last, last thing I want to talk about is your protein intake. I want, I'm going to throw some statistics at you. There's, there's something called a cricket. A cricket, a single cricket by the gram. Stevie B, I miss your smell, man. What's up, bro? I'm going to throw you guys a statistic. Here's the statistic. Uh, Stevie B, DM me on my personal account so I can uh, hit you up and, uh, and we can talk on the phone. Um, if you're just tuning in, I'm doing a live podcast via uh, this microphone, and I'm doing a live on Instagram and on Facebook Live. If you've missed anything that we got going on, you can catch the recap by listening to the podcast. It'll be posted later on the night. You could also do the recap on IG for 24 hours. And in addition to that, you could do the recap on Facebook Live. I want you to uh, uh, pay attention to something real quick. The cricket. A cricket, by uh, uh, compared to the same amount in grammar or weight, net weight, has twice the amount of protein than a cow, than beef. When you yield beef protein, you yield about 30 to 40%. 30 to 40% of that cow. When you yield protein from a cricket, it could be 100%. Typically, it's 80, but it could be 100%. Introducing insect protein into your diet for one person, for one day, for one meal. Again, one person, for one day, for one, one single meal, replacing your beef, your beef with insect protein will save the world 162,000 liters of water. 162,000 liters of water. Because that's how much water it takes to raise a cow. And forget about uh, uh, greenhouse gas. Forget about the, the epidemic of water and beef production in factory farms. Now, I'm not, I'm not, advocating, I'm not advocating for you to just pick up a whole bunch of crickets and go, this is, this is life. This is what I'm doing. And, and saying, you know, I'm going to completely change my way of life. I'm saying start introducing it into your diets to save the uh, the world. You want to really save the world? 
I mean, you know, as people talk about driving an electric car, not realizing that the manufacturing of that electric car, um, the um, the production of the lithium batteries that are in that electric car cost costs more to the environment uh, in some studies than a gas car. I'm just saying, if you want to really change the world, do insect protein, crickets. This is something that I'll let the cat out of the bag. I'm going to be looking down the uh, avenue of doing uh, cricket protein for Philcraft Survival because it's sustainable, it's renew renewable, it means a lot to 2 billion people in the world who are using it as a replacement for the, the beef protein they can't get. By the year 2050, we have to double, double the amount of meat production in this country in poultry and beef and, and uh, uh, pork. We have to double it by 2050. Do you know what that's going to do to the environment? I'm not a, a big... Look, I'm a conservationist when it comes to hunting because I believe in uh, uh, maintaining healthy populations of wild game. But when it comes to like environmental issues, greenhouse gases, you know, the, the, uh, the climate change, I get it. It's just a natural process. I don't pay a lot of attention to it. But when I look at actual what cricket protein is doing, it changes, it changes and actually has an effect on the environment, on an immediate effect, by what you take in and what you put out. Crickets have a perfect ratio of amino acids for six to three. They also have calcium, B12. Um, they also are good for the environment because you feed them grain and they produce protein and nutrients yielded at 80 to 100%. I'm going to start putting out more stuff on this, and I'm super motivated to do it. Um, I'm super excited, if you can't tell, about the whole subject matter. Look, thinking about your physical fitness and your nutrition requires a commitment, a level of commitment that you probably haven't done before. But I promise you, if you just listen, you pay attention to the podcast, if you pay attention to our feeds, Philcraft Survival Fit, Philcraft Survival, I promise you I will put the information out there to change you guys' lives. Look, the only benefit for me is it makes me feel good. It makes me feel good being a special operation guy with going out with my peers and killing bad guys. I can't do that shit anymore. But what I can do is give you information that I'm constant, constantly researching because you know, by the grace of God, I'm here doing this for a living. Let me lead the way, do it for a living, figure out the right solutions. And I'm not always right 100% of the time but I'm going to lead you in the right direction to make sure I put out relevant information. The company puts out relevant information that's going to improve your mindset, your physical fitness, and your overall level of preparedness. That's what it's all about. You know, you don't have to be a special operator to be a badass, right? Because every single one of us uh, have the opportunity to change our little worlds inside of our communities, inside of our families, inside of ourselves with the information that we got. We've been fed a lot of mis- and disinformation that is killing us. It's separating us. It's segregating us. No offense to the news, but turn on CNN. You want to see the divisiveness that is shifting in our society? Turn to Fox News. You want to see divisive human beings talking and trying to segregate us? Instead, let's focus on what we can do together to make ourselves better. Uh, I did the same thing as a team sergeant. I did the same thing as a cell leader in special operations. How I did the same thing as a 17-year-old private talking to juveniles. I just want to make it better for everybody. I'm no hero, but I, I have been graced with a position to sit on a pedestal and do the research, research, talk to all these subject matter experts, and then relay the information to you.
Uh, I love you guys. Uh, thank you for the support. Uh, if you guys were just tuning in, uh, we're doing a, a Phil Craft live uh, Instagram, Facebook, and podcast. This will be up on Facebook for, for uh, indefinitely. This will be up on the, the Instagram page for 24 hours, and this will be up on the podcast, on the Phil Craft Survival Podcast online. If you guys are interested in anything we got going on, philcraftsurvival.com. Use the coupon code to save 10%. Mike, as always, uh, I appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, and I'll just say peace out. Uh, thanks for the support, guys. Uh, we do have uh, Garmin watches now online. I just dropped a special forces and selection assessment course for January. I'm teaching here pistol, basic pistol mechanics on December 15th. Uh, we got a lot of stuff going on, man, and happy to do it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy to do what we do. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. C-State, Stevie B, everybody who's tuning in, uh, thank you for the support. And I'll catch you guys later. Till next time, stay alert, stay alive.